with me I have a conductor and a god. Um, some might uh, some might think the two are interchangeable, but uh, we won't go there, I think. Um, <laughs> Richard Farnes, music director of Opera North, uh, and about to embark upon the company's first ring cycle over a period of years. And Michael Druitt, who is going to be scaling the heights as Wotan in the first opera, Das Rheingold. Um, Richard, um, four operas, something like 14 hours of music. Uh, when did you start getting your head buried in these scores? Well, I've had, I've had a look at them for quite a long time. Actually, when I was at university, I bought the sort of entire set uh, out of some prize money that I won. So mm-hmm. I've sort of been nosying through them for quite a few years now. Probably Siegfried less than the other three. It always amazes me that they were written in reverse, this extraordinary idea that he started at the end, basically. But what's even more amazing are these massive gaps in between while he was working on other things, and that, what, ten-year gap in the middle of Siegfried, and yet the whole thing has this inevitability and sense of proportion and scale that is just perfect. I mean, you really do feel with that low E-flat at the beginning of Rangel that you are at the beginning of something. I suppose the advantage was in doing it in that way round that he has an idea at the beginning, when he gets to the beginning, if you see what I mean, mm. of the proportions of the whole work, So, which partly explains why that long E-flat proportionately makes so much sense, as it were, you know, that the entire orchestral build-up until the, the first of the Rhine Maidens sing. question having waited so long to do a ring cycle why in concert I mean apart from economical factors why in concert well there's one very good principal reason and that is that we simply cannot fit an orchestra of this size into our pit we could in uh, That's Lowry. A good enough reason. I think it's a very good reason <laughs> yes one of our regulatory venues the Lowry in Manchester we could but all of the others we simply couldn't it's really having the eight horn players and the associated number of woodwind players is impossible and the harp and, and well, well yes yeah. I mean one because one tends to be putting the harp um, even in bigger pits, I think they often put the harps in some sort of slightly different place. One of the boxes. Yes, one of the boxes yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, in a sense, the principal motivation. But secondly, when we were redeveloping our own home theatre here in Leeds, we were forced to put operas in concert on, onto the concert platform because we didn't have a home base for, for a year or so. So we were absolutely determined that nobody was going to sort of lose their jobs, that there was going to be no layoffs or anything. And during this potentially very difficult period, we actually mounted you know, some concert performances. We did Zalame, we did uh, Bluebeard's Castle, which we subsequently recorded. We did uh, concert performances of Nabucco and a sort of semi-stage production of uh, Hansel and Gretel. And we began to develop a very good relationship with a number of um, different places, mm. uh, particularly the Sage Concert Hall in Gateshead. And they've been very interested and encouraging in, in developing further pieces. We've since done Electra up there, for instance. And I think the other reason is, I think you get a very different dimension in the concert hall in that, of course, the orchestra becomes a much bigger player in the whole thing. 
Yes, you're, you're kind of making a virtue out of Absolutely. That, and I mean, the orchestra is really, if you like, the you could almost say the most important character in the entire cycle. It's the only one who appears in every one of the operas, <laughs> if you like. It has to be said that the acoustics of the, the modern concert halls in this country are somewhat more favourable to this type of repertoire yes. than the acoustics in most theatres, and not least our own here, because it's, it's, theatres tend to be quite dry, and actually this, this music, a little bit of sort of resonance and grandness, grandiose to the sort of sound, yes. will, will add to it. And of course, you mentioned the harps yourself, I and mean, the sight, the physical sight of six harpists, and then there's another one off stage as well. Uh, on the platform. Yeah, that and, visual and, information yes. is so important. And I mean, there are these it? instruments that yeah. Wagner himself created for this, you know, the bass trumpet is, you know, largely his own sort of import into the contrabass trombone. I mean, these are these are really fascinating instruments. Okay, they may be a little bit hard to pick out amongst the hundred players or so mm. on the stage, but it, you know, it's a very interesting way of doing it. I think it's perfectly valid. Michael, you're sitting very patiently here, and uh, as a singer, you've obviously done concert performances before, and this will be uh, a big concert performance for you, because it's a, it's a straight-through span of some two and a half hours. Do you miss that kind of physicality of actually being on stage, or, or does it help you focus on text and dig deeper with text? I don't know, that may sound like a crazy notion, but... I think it's a way to tell the story through the music and through the text. No other composer, I think, uses the text so prominently as a melodic line and everything in this. So it is a way to clearly tell tell the tale. It brings other challenges in the sense of not having a long rehearsal period to find and create a character. Mm. So we have to do that through the music and the preparations that we've been doing, which has been absolutely fascinating. What, for you, is the essence of a Wagner voice? What are the key attributes that you need? The leader part of it, I mean, just expressing the text, being able to recite the text, to tell a simple story, it has been an absolutely fascinating process so far. Mm. And I've discovered so much about my voice, about the voice in general, colours, shades, delivering the text. It really is an extraordinary process. If, uh, if you were to sing the whole cycle one day, as I'm sure you will, it's, it's such a big thing to come to for the first time. Yes, um, yes it uh, is. And, and it uh, takes time. It takes a long time. I mean, I, I think I always knew this is where a direction I would go in. I mean, way back, what, 1990, when I was at the National Opera Studio, we worked on bits of this. But I knew then it would take 20 years. It slowly grows and develops within you, I think. <laughs> Sinn. 
It's interesting, the whole bass baritone aspect of the role of the rattan, isn't it? It's because a, a lot of yeah. basses sing it. Um, it's not a bass and it's not a baritone. Yeah. It's this strange thing in the middle. I mean, that's why, I mean, I went through a stage when I got some of my mid-30s thinking, what am I? I'm not a real bass. And I started exploring the baritone repertoire and sharplesses and various things. And that wasn't quite right either. But this, this just fits in this strange position. It's a very, very unique voice. Mm. So how have you got to have the, the colour and the depth, I think, down below, and just the, the piercing authoritative quality up the top, yeah. and everything in between. And the character develops through the ring anyway, but initially, what is at the foundation of, of Votan? I suppose this constant thing about his duty as a god, but also this kind of perception of free will that humankind has that he gradually sees and so wants for himself. And that's why the relationship with Brunhilde, obviously, is such an important one. Um, but as far as Rheingold is concerned, what are you looking for most of all? Because he's quite arrogant in, in this opera, isn't he? Well, I just think, yeah, I mean, I, it's a cross between Tony Soprano and a godfather, I think, in, in many respects. It's a totally timeless character, I think, totally timeless music that's relevant whenever it's placed in history and performed in history. It's relevant and has something new to say. And he's got that fricker, that henpecked yes. yeah. mm. wife. I mean, oh, she's, she's, she's a piece of work, isn't she's she? A piece. Well, it's a funny family, isn't it, really? <laughs> I, think, I think it's fascinating because, as you say, there is a certain sort of arrogance in Rheingold that then gets undermined in Valkyrie. And I think that's the fascinating thing. I mean, Valkyrie is a, is a more, um, much more sort of psychological Yes, piece. that's exactly the it, thing. It, it, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. A, yeah. In a way, we were talking about the, you know, the differences between the... the the ways that you might sing Vortan and, mm. and the way one's approach to Valkyrie would have to be very different. Valkyrie, I think, is is the, the pinnacle of the three. It's yeah. the hardest of the three, and it's the one I think I would like to do last. Right. Mm. To be oh, perfectly honest. Yeah, yes. Um, where, where everything is, under, the, the, the real, the, the sort of feeling of undermining where Fricker's sort of yes. common sense yeah. sees, and, and he's, you can see him sort of torn from one side mm. to the other. The worldliness and the life experience of the role. Mm. I think the idea of power but also wanting love is big in, in this character as well. And, he's every man, he's uh, everything. We, we, I think we've all got a bit of Votan in us. You know, my favourite moment, I suppose, in the whole cycle is when, at the end of Valkyra, mm. when Brunhilde tells him that Sieglinde is with child. Yes. And suddenly, all that hopelessness, suddenly there is hope mm. from that moment on. Mm. And so... The farewell is actually ecstatic. It's yeah. not. It's not it's just welcome, sad. Yes, and oh, absolutely. It's, it's hopefully ecstatic, yeah. which I think is one of the great mm-hmm. moments in all opera. thing about singing Wagner I mean there is this massive amount of text that has to be learnt but also the vocal line often bears no resemblance to what's happening around you and I'm always in awe of singers actually having to learn stuff where there is no doubling 
uh, in the orchestra very often. There is nothing to give your your ear the the lead. I mean, how difficult is it? And from both your points of view, that's what takes the time. I think a real understanding and just to absorb the music, absorbing the text. That hours that I'm spending studying the text, reading the text as if it's a play, getting inside of that, and then putting the notes, the melody of whatever it is, on top of the text, or finding that the melody comes through the German text and the sound of the text. Mm-hmm. It has to be a sort of a, you know, completely uninhibited, almost a muscular memory. It's just something mm-hmm. that, you know, comes completely naturally. You have to completely inhabit these roles in order to, yeah. to bring them off in that sense. And, and that's also particularly important for us doing it in this format on the concert platform. That's harder because, you know, when you have all the, you have the costumes, you have a few props, and you have a long sort of rehearsal period with a director. Will I get an eye patch? Well, we're not spending lots of money on the props, Michael. So, but you know, there's, there's, it's a very different sort of process, and and, and in the sense, of the, the the work that Michael's been doing already is so important because there isn't this sort of long directorial rehearsal process on the stage. Yeah, you look like a Wotan. He does, doesn't Michael, he? Yes. Yeah. Well, imposing. bulk here as we're sitting in this rehearsal room. I'll take that um, as a compliment. You're, Richard, you're quite diminished by him. <laughs> <laughs> Until you pick up your battle. Well, yes. well, there is that. You've got to remember who's in yeah. charge. Yeah. I mean, there are so many high spots in Rheingold. It's such a gripping piece in itself, even if there weren't the other three operas. You know, this, this journey that you go through and some fabulous orchestral moment that is sent into the... Oh, yes, of course. Nibelheim and and, and and with all the anvils. I mean, what are you going to do about those? Oh, well, I mean, they're even visible on the stage. Oh, yes, yes, we've got extra percussionists in, especially. We've been working the anvils. exactly how many anvils and anvilistes we need. <laughs> From our point of view, that's another thing that's a visual element to the score. And particularly in Leeds Town Hall, where we're opening, being a Victorian hall on the stage, you know, it tears up very steeply, and you know, there's a lot of visibility from the players who might clearly be relatively invisible, even in a, a standard sort of symphony orchestra hall, and certainly in a pit, you know, they're going to be fairly obvious. phenomenally exciting for people who've never encountered it before, that moment with, with all these anvils as you, you, you descend. The, the sense of depth that he gets in the music from the very beginning with, with the prelude, and deeper than we've ever been or feel we've been in music before. More fundamental. Oh, yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And then to rise to that entrance into Botan's um, palace, really, Valhalla. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting to know the brass section very well. <laughs> yes, and yes, make friends of them. No, well, I, I, well, no, no, but to join them, to be the, that extra Wagner tuba, yeah. to have that extra colour. Yeah. I think that's where, again, where the voice, the specific voice is required, that must complement the orchestration and complement the accompaniment. And they seem to follow me wherever I go, don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, but, but, but so much of the score is marked piano. There's very, very few points. The, the, the anvils, yes. the other enormous sections where the mm. turns back into the toad. Yes. 
Yes, and the curse and all of that. So much is conversational. So much is delicate. So much is chamber music. Absolutely. It's a total I, myth, I, I think, that this that it's just yeah. all hell let loose all uh, of the time. Uh, yes. It's I so agree. delicate in the colours. You, you look at, at the score and on occasions there's, there's nothing happening in addition to a voice except maybe a bass clarinet yes. or a, a pedal note in, in the strings. And Rheingold in particular, actually... Edward's very interesting because it's it's surprisingly wind based. I mean, in terms of the orchestration, mm. you know, the strings are obviously there's a very very important role for them in the in the opening prelude. But when you actually look at the score, you realise how much sort of detail there is in the woodwind writing. I mean, in a sense that probably had never been done to that degree before. You're going to get to know your orchestra better than you've ever known them before on this journey, aren't you, um, Richard? Yes, and uh, there are people in the orchestra who have been here since the company began and I think it's a wonderful thing to sort of to be doing it now I'm sensing a real buzz within the company and excitement about it just wanted to get it's a special event it is it is such a special event it's such a special life-changing music it's something that just grabs you and takes you on a journey and you discover so much about it I've learned so much I mean the amount of reading and reference and you should see the house it's full of these books (laughs) Full of books, full of recordings, full of everything. So it's just a love affair with it. That's all I can describe. Well, we've all been to ring cycles in performance mm-hmm. and just that moment of expectation when the lights go down and, and you get that starts. E flat starts um, and all those horns start adding mm-hmm. all those colours. I mean, it's, it's miraculous, but it's, it's another world. And it's no wonder that, you know, this piece has... It's one of the great pinnacles of, of art, isn't it, really? Absolutely. And it is astonishing, that, I mean, the, the length of time that its conception mm. took, well, over 20 years, you know, 23 years or whatever. But the, the other things that he sort of broke off to do in, in between <laughs> times and then to come back to it, it's, it's quite extraordinary to have the sheer stamina to return again and again. is amazing. And uh, I do find it interesting, you know, if he was alive today, he would also be a sort of a media sensation because everybody would be trying to find the dirty on him. That's what they would do. That's what happened with his life. You know, it was dissected. They wouldn't have to look too far. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he would have been a tabloid sensation. There's no doubt about it. People would be rubbing their hands at the prospects of some of the sort of stories and notoriety that's associated with him as a person. Mm. 